Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. I am, as always, joined by my erstwhile co-host this evening, Lee Winika and Glenn. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Josh. How are you doing, man? We're doing fabulous. Yeah, we got, got some some lovely, light, fluffy, powdery snow up here in Maine, all of about all about an inch and a half the other day. And, of course, on Saturday now, it's going to be in the 50s, so it's all going to go away. But that's okay. It's making everything look pretty for the next couple of days. We got a little down here, too, and... Rain in sixties by Saturday. Woohoo! <laughs> Gotta love this time of year, right? But it was sunglasses weather on the commute this morning. Yep. And of course, what's really funny is that I've just realized, of course, that while we are recording here in the first week of December, this episode isn't actually going out for until uh, after the new year. So happy new year to all of the Tabletop Journeys <laughs> listeners out there. Hope that uh, right. Christmas and uh, New Year's were fabulous and safe and all that stuff. Tonight, we are going to, we're bringing in another Kickstarter uh, campaign manager who, for a Kickstarter campaign that has just launched. We want to introduce everybody to Dale Critchley from Wormworks Publishing. Dale, how are you tonight? Welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thank you. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. We've been looking over the book that is live on Kickstarter right now. Why don't you tell us about the project in general, about what it is that you're doing, and then I know Lee Wanika and Glenn and I have a bunch of questions to go through about the book that you sent over. So, Speech. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm with Warmworks Publishing, and our goal is to help you make other people's lives better. And, and we do that in a number of ways. And uh, right now, our primary focus is on disabilities, neurodiversity, and mental health. I have a lot of experience in my life with people with disabilities, people with mental health issues, people all over the place on the kind of broad neurodiverse spectrum. And playing uh, role-playing games, especially Dungeons and Dragons, I found the, the power of role-playing games in connecting people, in bringing people together, and it really levels the playing field for people and for people that have trouble in social situations. This gives them a medium to build relationships, to, to get to know each other, to feel, uh, oftentimes so often people feel alone and regardless of what your the reason is for that. I have seen over and over how powerful role-playing games are to bring people together, to make them feel not alone. And, mm -hmm. and I thought, and, and even looking at my own home group, 
and the the different issues that that our players have and how beneficial our group has been to each other. Yeah. And and so I saw that and I've been playing uh, role-playing games since 1982. And I started out with first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. I was in college in the early 90s and playing all kinds of different games there. And then I got married and went to grad school and life got busy and had kids and, and stopped playing just because I didn't have time to go out and find a group and, and stuff. And then it was just in 2019 that we started a, a local group and I touched fifth edition for the first time and was really skeptical. But then once I tried it out, I was pretty impressed with how approachable it was. And, and, and so then I started recently, both the beginning of last year. Now I, w- I was looking for, okay, how do you, it'd be good to, to include maybe some prosthetics or some other kind of assistive devices for disabled characters in the game because I wasn't really seeing any of that. And, and then I realized, wait a minute, that's a solution to a problem that doesn't exist because there's just no disabled characters at all. And I mean, there's like a few outlying examples if you look around uh, enough, but disability just straight up didn't exist in in D or most tabletop role-playing games and uh and in fact it, it's you look at games like call of cthulhu and there's a lot of controversy about how they handle mental health in that game there's you look at the way that the everything in the cyberpunk genre handles disability and prosthetics and all that kind of stuff and there's a lot of problems with that and all right we just need to actually have some mechanics because I think a lot of people want to use to have that kind of representation in their games, but they don't know how, or, or it's just like, that'd be a lot of, of work to try to implement that 15, 20% of people in the world have some kind of disability. So why don't you have them in your gaming world? Because how do you do that? And so I said, okay, then let's make that easy for people. Let's give them a system that they can use to implement that. And yeah, I started out looking at, okay, what are some real world different conditions and things like that? And I realized that there's a lot of overlap between different conditions. I mean, okay, chronic pain. Well, chronic pain can be caused by all kinds of things. And, And just about every symptom has multiple sort of causes why you might be experiencing that. And what it comes down to is in game terms, it's, the, it's not the diagnosis that's important, but it's the condition that you're working with. So I just started I, researching literally every symptom of every condition in the world. And, and, and then I, while I was working at it, I realized in a fantasy world, there's going to be other conditions that wouldn't exist here, but would make sense in that kind of a world. And as I went along compiling this list and categorizing things, I added those in as they came to mind. And, and I ended up with over 450 different symptoms. Yeah. I, I don't want to interrupt you because, I mean, this is fantastic, first of all. like I, I really appreciate the way that you're able to talk about your motivation behind putting this book together because that was and, – and gentlemen, I'm just going to jump right in here with my first question because my first question in here was looking at the book was – 
just the depth and how comprehensive Limitless Heroes is. And Heroics. I want I want you to talk a little bit about why was that so important to go ahead and make sure that this book was just as comprehensive as possible. <clears throat> and I, I don't want to make it sound funny. Why, why do all that research to make this book so comprehensive? Why was that so important to you? It, actually, part of it, okay, part of it's just because I'm the sort of person that if I, I feel like if you're going to do it right, <laughs> no half measures. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And but I also, know if you guys like that, yeah. There's a personal element to it too, because I have two children that have uh, very rare neurological disorders, and in fact, there's a lot of really rare different disorders out there that you might have a dozen people in the world. Some of the symptoms in the book are ones where there's like one or two people in history that are known to have this. Only a couple documented cases, and so there's not very much known about them. Because of a lot of those uh, conditions are so rare, there's not a lot known about them, or they don't get, they don't get the research that the more common uh, conditions have and, and things like that. And, and thinking about how my family feels when Every time you want to explain to them what we're working with, you have to give this big explanation because they've never heard of it before. I, I wanted the whole point of this is to be inclusive, and and it's, it can be very easy to feel left out when no one knows. If you say autism, people, well, at least they may not have a really good understanding of what it is, but they've heard of it and they they have some sense of what you're talking about, right? But if I say gray matter heterotopia, you go, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 I absolutely understand what you're saying. And I've made a point in my life of not being the person who says, I know a person with X or who deals with Y. And that's why I feel I can speak on a topic. I really try not to do that because I don't know if that's particularly useful or beneficial to the overall discussion, especially when you're talking about inclusivity. It should just be, I know about a topic. I don't have to know somebody to want to understand and appreciate their experience and further make sure they feel included in the things I do or the things I want the world to experience and do, i.e. play at my game table. That said, I have a profound and deep understanding of some of those more rare, lesser known uh, specific issues, because even within diagnoses that are fairly well known, there are versions or derivatives thereof that are completely unknown. There are some disorders that are very common. You see them talked about on TV, oh, go to this country to get help these children with problem X, Y, or Z. But what people don't realize is there are other versions of that. And some of them can be very life-threatening, severely debilitating, and the experience of the individuals who end up living their life surgery after surgery, dealing with having to deal with navigating complex medical system, relying on charities like the Ronald McDonald House, the United Way, and all of that. And basically the largesse of experts who, in the case of the situation I am loosely speaking of, there are two doctors in the country that dealt with that situation. And yearly clinics that had to be attended for year after year, surgeries every few years. And as, as a person who's experienced that firsthand, not with me, but close people to me, I get that. And, I, and it is difficult to explain 
to your boss, I can't be here this week or I can't be here on this day. Why? Because person, a family member has X and I need to be present for that. That's just a doctor's appointment. No, it's a specific clinic where that individual sees every doctor that deals with this situation. There are about 12 of them. This clinic is held in mm -hmm. our state once a year. There's no changing. That's a done deal. And then the new, the follow-up appointments that, that come from that clinic in the next course of treatment. So I get what you're driving at and a great deal of solidarity. On Twitter, we always talk about TTRPG solidarity when it comes to dealing with these issues. Bringing that to the table, that's what you're attempting to do or allowing it to come to the table or creating a mechanism where if people feel, hey, I want to bring this to the table or I want to include this level of realism in my game, how would I do that? What are those tools? That seems to be the focus of the book. And what I took away from that was a great appreciation for tools and resources that I, as a storyteller, will have the ability to say, if somebody asks for X, Y, or Z, I now have the resource to provide that method. I did have a question, and maybe you'll get to this as we go, or maybe I'm the first person to broach the topic, is... How do you feel the easiest way it is to let folks know that you have it? Like I'm at my table, like we run multiple games through our podcast. We have people that play in our games. We do our session zeros. We talk about lines and veils and things like that. How do I say I have, other than here's a great book, take a look at it. If there's anything you're interested in, let me know and we'll find a way to work that in as long as we're careful with everybody's lines and veils. Is it that simple or is there a more nuanced way that you would say, hey, here, Mr. Storyteller, here's a good way for you to bring this to your table? Well, I think session zero becomes really important for this kind of thing. And even if uh, you decide you want to implement something further down the road, that it's a point of just stopping for a moment to, especially when you're talking about a, a player character. Right, because there's two different ways that that you can use this book. I mean, in some games, people are going to go. I, I I just nobody at this table is interested in in playing a character using these mechanics. And okay, fine. And and this shouldn't be forced on anyone. However, you could have disabled NPCs. And, uh, and in fact, if you jump over to DMs Guild and do a search on disabled NPC of the week, I did a bunch of them just as as samples. And in fact, how do you use them? I created some that you can search on accessible adventure of the week. And, and there's a half a dozen or is it 10? I don't know. A bunch of them anyway, different games that, that actually incorporate these characters and just little one-shot adventures. That so you can see how to do it, whether you actually use those adventures or you just want to see how you'd implement that. The book also has a lot of information on how to implement that. It has something you can hand to the players that has a checklist of, of things that they would be comfortable using. It's, it's like a lines and veils, but it's more specific uh, to specific forms of disability and mental illness and stuff that you say, okay, is it okay to include this? Because for some people, I mean, this is this whole book comes with a huge trigger warning right in the first pages, which yeah. I appreciate it. I, I yeah, like absolutely. it right yeah, in there up front. 
Because reading and, and it, it, I had a couple things where I was like, ooh, that hit me a little heavier than I anticipated kind of thing. I even um, sent a message to the guy saying, this gets a little intense at times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll, I'm yeah, sure we'll does. get there in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was even some stuff that, that we removed, which we may or may not get to on the show. And when I say that it includes every disability symptom in the world, there's like three that we cut. But although if we hit all of our stretch goals, we'll we'll cover those. But, but we didn't want nice. to do it with with game mechanics. I wanted to make sure to do this right. And so I worked with dozens of people that just talking about their experiences and and them telling me what their what their symptoms are. And then I showed them the game mechanics and said, does this reflect your experience? And and then I get yes, except for this. Or and and, and I get feedback. And so, of course, that's impossible to do with every single symptom, but that was done as much as I possibly could. And, and so dozens of people, oftentimes different people with the same you know, diagnosis, but different experiences with that different, their symptoms are a little different. And, but yeah, you can take that. And, you know, and so, for example, you could have two different people, two different NPCs that have the classic examples, autism, all right? Everyone, autism is a spectrum, okay? You could have a half a dozen different autistic NPCs show up in your campaign. Every one of them is different mm-hmm. and, and the way that it, it manifests in them. But, but I, this occurred to me the other day that with this book, you can literally represent the entire autism spectrum. Like it's all there. Whatever the varying symptoms and degrees of, of how much you experience those different symptoms, which vary from person to person, no matter what it is, you can represent it with the rules in this book. And, and so I, I find that I, sh- I show when I hear people that say, I have this particular, I have ADHD, I have depression or, or whatever it is, and, and I'll show them the mechanics. And just yesterday, I someone was talking about depression, and I showed him just one of the symptoms. This called in the book is called baseless emotion. And and he looked at, it, he said, "This is what happens in my head every day. This right here." And and yeah, I want to show that to people, but uh, but it, yeah, it can be that kind of secondhand. And one of the big goals of this book is for people to get used to being around people with disability, with neurodiversity, with mental illness, and so that they're comfortable with that. Because a lot of times we can end up in our own little bubbles and we don't really have much exposure. And so by by being able to interact with NPCs, right? If you say the wrong thing or, 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 or you do something that, that comes across as offensive and it's, it's not intentional and everybody does that sometimes, all right, then you know, that is a chance where you can learn where the consequences are very, where you can just, you could step back and go, oh, hmm, yeah, I, I probably could have handled that better. The only people that know about it are the people at the table and they're right there with you and they're people that you can trust, hopefully, that you're playing with. And so that you can do that by learning just through those those role-played experiences and, and just becoming more and more comfortable than when you're actually interacting with real people then you're just going to be, feel more comfortable. You're going to feel you're not going to be as worried about sort of saying or doing the wrong thing or whatever, because you've learned. And not that you're ever going to have it all figured out, and none of us ever will, 
right? But but it just it helps to develop that. It takes me back to when I was in eighth grade. I applied to be a junior counselor at a summer camp for two weeks. For first time people, there were two different sessions that you could do. And one of them was just working with kids of, of different ages. And one of them was one week of working with kids and one pe- one of working with people with developmental disabilities. And in eighth grade, the thought of that terrified me. I applied for the other one and I ended up getting my second choice. And, and so I spent a week of that time working with people ranged in age from 16 to 85 that had all different kinds of disabilities. And I went, these people are great. I really enjoyed this. And, and there's nothing scary about them or, or anything like that. They're just people. Right. And, and, and everyone's different. And once you recognize everyone's different, then regardless why they're different, it doesn't really matter. You just need to, to figure out, okay, if they need help with something, what do they need help with? And, and you mostly learn that by asking them or in, in the cases where they're not able to communicate it to you, you learn in some other way. And then after that, I always requested that week when I went up. And, and so th- the more people have that kind of experience, even if it's through an NPC in a game, just the more comfortable you're going to be. I think that's great. And honestly, it kind of <laughs> leans right towards what I liked most about the book is that it's going to help increase exposure. Because when you're talking about inclusivity and, and when you're talking about making sure that there's a space for everyone, a safe space for everyone to be able to play, the people that the disabled should not be left out of that. And I'm going to be honest, I run, I've run games with a few disabled characters that I've chosen to put in it for narrative sake, but it's not an area of inclusivity that before I read your book, I've specifically thought about representing in my games and my NPCs more efficiently. And accurately honestly and i love the way that you have it set up with session zero because we are a huge session zero show just in general all three of us in the way that we do it um and setting up the questionnaire that you have in there for the lines and veils that you mentioned earlier so that it's not just hey are you okay with this topic but are you okay with a player having this are you okay with an npc experiencing something like this i think all of that is awesome it's definitely player wise i agree with you you don't want to force anybody to do it it's available if it's something you're interested in absolutely But as an inclusive storyteller, I got to say that I feel, especially now that my veil's been lifted somewhat by this book, that it's our responsibility to make sure that we pepper our worlds with a diverse cast of NPCs so that those people that we're inviting to our tables know and can see that we're not just saying it. We want to show you that our fantasy world is a reflection of the real world. But on that, it does bring me to a question. I was headed to one eventually. When you run games or the people that you play with run games and you're running a session zero like i'm sure you've done some play testing for these as well the play test people are obviously going to choose them have you had the opportunity to set this set of rules in front of a call it a neutral set of players or a control set of players that aren't specifically in on the project and do you have any experience on how many people were like hey this is great and wanted to like try to find a piece of it and bring it in not specifically like that just because I have mainly my one group that I specifically play with, and we're hoping to expand that, but COVID has been not helpful. See, when our group first started out, it actually started out as three groups. Um, We actually used through the church I was at the time. We set up, we said, hey, anyone want to play D? And 18 people showed up the first night. 
And, and, and so we ended up after a few months on with three different tables going and two of those are still going virtually. And, but because I don't have as much kind of contact with the different groups and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, it's been a lot harder. As soon as things open up, we're going to be able to really expand and then, and also be more hands-on with everything. And so unfortunately, no, just really because of COVID, all the remote, everything. Very small play test group. Yeah. Okay. But I have, that's why I've made a point of taking those, those write-ups and showing it to a whole bunch of people. We've got close to a dozen artists that I said, all right, artists, here's the manuscript. Take a look at it, use it, whatever, what speaks to you, make artwork based on it. And so we've had and a bunch of other people that that I've just been, whether it's pieces of it or, or just handing it to them going here, use this. What do you think? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can just to build on that point a little bit here. Something that I don't know that a lot of our listeners know is that I suffer from tinnitus. I've had it for 10 or 12 years, constant chronic tinnitus uh, to the point that I, I wear hearing aids now to go ahead and not only help correct the tinnitus, but also to go ahead and help the hearing loss that kind of goes along with that. And so naturally, when I got the copy of the book and I saw how comprehensive the symptoms were, I was like, okay, let me go ahead and see what you got. And I, I will say for sure that reading through kind of the way that it affects perception and, and that kind of thing, it very much seemed to follow along my experience personally with that. So definitely kudos on that front. I can attest that that, that at least for, for my particular uh, symptom, it seemed to be it, it seemed to be pretty spot on. The question that I did want to ask was a follow on Liwanika's question about how to go ahead and introduce or to not necessarily introduce it, but to let people know that it's an option, right? To know that this book is an option and it being play. And this is something you talk about a lot in the book, and I wanted to ask you to kind of share this with with the audience a little bit here. You talk in the book about being careful about using what's in the book to make tropey NPCs, right? You don't want to have the uh, the crazy bad guy, that kind of thing. So I wanted to, I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit about about how you how you worded that in the book, and just how you want to make sure that that folks that do want to use this are aware of of, of avoiding those traps. Yeah, no, absolutely. This uh, this one especially big kudos to Faye Onyx, who actually the list that they assembled. I, I found that and I thought, oh, this is perfect. And and so I talked to them about it and and used it. It's almost a copy paste. I I edited a little mm-hmm. bit to to fit with with the book, but they've got some great resources. And and there's just yeah, you look at the way that disability is represented in the media, and so often it's the one disabled person is and sort of the classic is Darth Vader and the the breathing thing and the ooh this ominous what is it? It's a respirator, right? And <laughs> but it's presented as this ominous thing. If people if they're if they hear that and, and it immediately generates this this sort of scary feel, all right? It's like oh. Disabled people are scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, opposite of where we're trying to head. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the character it made me think of was, was Mr. Glass from, from the Unbreakable movie. Right. Yeah. Like, Samuel like Jackson's was, character. Exactly. How he was like poisoned by his own disability to go ahead and become a bad guy, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and so that's why I really, that, that's where I saw that when I read that. Yeah. So, yeah. Or, yeah. And I, I mentioned cyberpunk before the super crypt trope mm-hmm. that, and, and I think the classic example that is uh, people are talking about right now because of the MCU is Daredevil. Oh, Daredevil's blind. No, he's not really. But is he? 
I'm glad you brought up MCU because here we are in the middle of the Hawkeye series, which I think is a great kind of balancing act to Daredevil where they have introduced the character Echo. Um, This is airing in January, so hopefully listeners to our show will have seen the show by then. But a great point made by friends of the show, Marvelous Madam Chris, was the fact that Echo is a character who makes the point in an earlier episode that because she didn't get hearing aids, because she didn't go to a school for the hearing impaired, because her father said, you need to make your way in this world without the assistance she actually looks down on people with the disability who rely on those assistive technologies as being quote unquote soft. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but specifically there's an interaction between her character and Jeremy Renner's character who has significant hearing loss from being next to all the explosions and basically being a normal average everyday dude, albeit with great aim, next to superheroes. But she makes the point of destroying his hearing aid, not just to level the playing field, but specifically to say, you're better than this, get better than this. And she's competent and capable and fearsome without the aid of that particular assistive technology. It shouldn't be lost on the world that she also, for some reason, we ha- hasn't been revealed an amputee. She has a prosthetic leg. So she is willing to use some technologies and not others. Obviously, she's made choices, and I think that's what you're going for. And, and from a storytelling standpoint, I would think it's important to let storytellers know if there's always a magic means to negate the disability, then it's not truly a disability or truly inclusive there. That doesn't mean you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. It just means recognize what you're not actually doing. That's kind of my take on that. And I also wanted to dovetail off Josh because I have some hearing loss, not as significant, but it is getting worse as I get older. I've been told that at some point I will be where Josh is. I'm not quite there yet, but I do have diminishing returns on my ability to hear what's going on. So looking at that, Again, the mechanics mirror my experiences, and I can see the mechanic you built into this where there's degrees of severity, where Josh may be a little further along, closer towards the worst end of that situation than I am, but we're both on there, and we both have these impacts that if we were to represent ourselves as characters in a game at a table, it would show itself. Yeah. And, and I like that as part of this, even when you talk about other uh, situations, cleft palate comes to mind, some of the others that I've seen, that degree of severity, pain is another one where it's like, I've often said, just speaking about myself personally, which I feel very confident and free to do, I deal with a large amount of back pain from my football injuries and things like that. And when I go to the doctor's office and my doctor says, what's your pain level like? I'm, I struggle with that one to 10 list on pain because I'm like, I deal with this every day. I am confident my pain level is more than what a lot of people deal with. I've just learned mm-hmm. to accept it. So my three is not everybody else's three. I deal with a certain amount of pain that I've just come to accept as part of getting up in the morning and breathing a solid baseline of pain as well my friend i feel you there's a reason why the three of us are great friends and there's a lot of symmetry between the situations that we've dealt with josh has a bad shoulder which i may or may not mostly may be 
partially, if not 100% responsible for. Um, I got separated against his sternum. Yeah, that's what yeah, happened. His sternum's so, still good, but, uh, you know, so it, it's... Screw. <laughs> <laughs> not to totally make light, but again, severity, right? Mm-hmm. I have days where the back pain is so bad, I recognize yeah. it. There's days I get up and I reach for the Tylenol. I reach for the mitigating effect. Some days it's bad enough where I'm asking my wife, can you please put on the icy hot and there's days where it's like okay now i need the salon pause patch and there's other days mm-hmm. where it's like if somebody asks me it's like if i stretch i'll be okay it doesn't feel good it, it, there's pain there but that's just what i deal with same thing with my knees or whatever so uh, i like the fact that those mechanics for those severities you put in mechanics for chronic you're right. saying these are the things i picked out of what i've read that i really appreciated like what's there those are a few of the ones that, quite honestly, I will distinctly be using in sessions. And I have ways that I think I would use for NPCs. But my the question that's buried in there is tropes. And we've talked about it. We don't want to use tropes. And I worry about that. Like, I worry about if, as NPCs, I run NPCs at my table. There's the victims. There's the aged heroes that are lore givers, quest givers. There are the villains. There are the villain sycophants and, and and your average shopkeep. I worry about using some of these in any one of those capacities, even though I recognize 20% of all people, which include all of those things, could potentially have them. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts, ideas, tips, or techniques to help me ease that transition where I can feel okay using them without feeling I'm troping or over troping if that term exists or maligning a person's situation or negatively impacting because there are going to have to be people that in the game world who may not be sympathetic or may not be positive individuals yet we don't want to necessarily display things in a negative way right no so it's important to note that you can have villains with disabilities, right? In fact, absolutely have villains with disabilities. Just don't make them the only ones with disabilities. Don't make their villainy all about their disability. Oh, I lost the use of my legs and now I want revenge or like, which basically communicates that, oh, because of my disability, my life is meaningless and, and worthless and, and stuff like that, which like, no, okay. And, and and there's this sort of balance between the what they call disability porn, where like oh, you're inspirational because you've overcome your disability or, or or whatever. And you know what? There's plenty of days where it's like I'm not overcoming anything. All right, this is really kicking my butt, and and that's all right. And and so so some of it is just being realistic. And you think about your own experience. And here's the thing: I, I heard this great term the other day, and I love it. Is pre-disabled. All right. Like really everybody is going to be able to look in this book and find things that identify with their experiences. All right. No matter who you are. All right. And you may not identify as disabled or neurodiverse or mentally ill. All right. But there's going to be stuff in here that you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's me. All right. Mm-hmm. So Several in here for me. Yeah. And so, in fact, I look at it, and it's so funny because I have pretty severe tinnitus as well. So that was actually a really easy one for me to write because yeah. I could write from my own experience. <laughs> but I, I've looked through there, and as I get older, I'm pushing 50, and it's hard for me to get up off the floor. And or it's, Don't get on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I'm that also pushing key. 50. The no. key is don't go there. 
at that. I, I have a lazy eye and, and a whole list of things. I don't identify as disabled, but I've got a whole ton of those symptoms. All right. <laughs> and so some of it could be that your characters have just some of these mild symptoms that just sort of identify them as and not sort of perfect paragons or, or whatever. But also I like that. And, and, and that's the whole thing. We, we tell you, you always hear the expression, I already said it earlier, autism is a spectrum, right? Disability is a spectrum. Mental health is a spectrum. Absolutely. Um, neurology is a spectrum. All right. And, and so we all, and, and sometimes it's used in, in kind of a harmful way, like the, the way that people use ADHD in a way like, uh, you're not really talking about ADHD. Let's just make that clear. If someone experiences it and they laugh about their own experience or whatever, that's fine. But careful that, that if that's not actually what you're experiencing, that, that you don't somehow belittle people for whom that's a big Reality, part of, yeah. of their life. Or OCD. Um, yeah. Yeah, OCD. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And probably of all of them, and I'm going to throw my mea culpa, that is probably the one I am most likely to engage in myself. Because while there are things that I do that mirror certain symptoms or similarities or affectations of that particular disorder, I in no way have that disorder. There are things that I am very particular about to the point of it would probably be closer to a phobia than an, than that actual disorder. And it's something that I work on a lot. There was a time where there were things that could be done in a public setting that I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. That plate goes away now or that beverage goes away now. Or I was extremely fastidious about washing my hands in certain situations. Now it's you definitely it, you definitely got some solid compulsions going on sometimes yeah. my friend uh you know glenn who's known me my whole life has seen me when that has been at its worst and i think interestingly enough it's probably in times of stress that it's worse than when i don't have it but i am in no way as i understand the true disorder to be i've never been diagnosed with it and i have seen counselors and talked to them about it and that is not what they've said is the issue while i share traits with i don't have and it is unfortunate that sometimes to explain your discomfort, sometimes you are, you feel forced, I feel forced to use a shorthand that is pretty pejorative to people who actually deal with that issue. But and at the same time, it's important to recognize that by saying I, I experience something like that, it may be helpful in, in just to, to be able to say, you know what, we're both people. And while we may, you know, we may both want a certain thing a certain way, and maybe it's coming from different places, all right, at the same time, it can help us to just to resonate with people and, and to even feel more comfortable. I was earlier this year, I spent six months working at a group home for a couple men with autism and a number of other disorders that really needed a lot of just constant supervision. And, uh, and one of them, he had this thing like the light switches needed to be a certain way and, and stuff like that. And, and it, at, at first it, it just struck me that, okay, this is just something about him that because of his autism, that things happen to be a certain way. And then I realized that, you know what, in my house, I prefer the light switches where there's two switches on the same light. I prefer when they're both off or whatever, I prefer in the them correct in a position. certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, my and, wife. I don't I'll, I'll walk across the kitchen to, 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 to flip the switch sure. the other oh, yeah. way. My wife is that way as well. We have to have yeah. the switches in the correct direction if it's a two-switch yeah. light. You can't have yeah. one one way and one the other way. Sure. So because of that, I can look mm -hmm. at this 
where he feels extreme discomfort. Like, like, no, it, it really has to be this way or I will not be able to move past that. You know, whereas I can go, ah. and so there's a difference and it's important to recognize that difference. But at the same time, I can go, you know what? I can, I can at least, I can understand the discomfort. And the more we can say, you know what? We're all people and maybe my experience of it is extremely mild. All right. But someone else that I can think, okay, what if my mild experience were amplified exponentially? Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I'm willing to, it's easier for me to empathize and accommodate you because I can see where you're coming from. Even if I can't truly understand your experience, I, g- I get where you're coming from. Yeah, and then that, that one can, piece of connection is the first part yeah, of empathy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sorry, to, I be to be fair, we portray characters that are amplified in aspects of ourselves, right? I am not mm-hmm. sitting here with an 18 strength as defined by D&D. My no. strength today is probably somewhere in a 10 to an 11, though in my younger years, I might have edged to 12 when I was at my peak. Obviously, I play characters that's amplified. I tend to play stats somewhat, especially my soft stats, somewhere close to what I have because it's just easier for me to do that. So why not play some of these other things? When I used to LARP, we've talked about it on the show. What's the the flaw, quote unquote flaw, and it's a terrible phrase to use based on this discussion, but what did I consistently use? Short-tempered, short, <laughs> yeah. because what was slash am I short-tempered? I'm far less than short-tempered now, but certainly short and yeah. there was mechanical benefits to that and i'm like i'm this thing anyway i'm always going to pick that for the characters i play in that game because it represents me yeah. and while that is not specifically what we're talking it's a version of what we're talking about here is you can amplify positive attributes you can amplify neutral attributes. You can amplify challenging attributes. And I think this provides some mechanisms to do that to a degree that a player is comfortable with and have some mechanical support for that. Yeah. So as we all you know, go out and we play and we fantasize, as you're working on character concepts, there's a lot of stuff in this book that you can use to help flush out. Uh, and make your person more of a person than a paragon. I loved that, by the way, Dale. That was awesome. And some of us do already do this, I realize, as we've been talking, because I don't know if you remember it specifically from his write-up, but Sprocket and the Candlekeep episodes is a neurodiverse person. He is not neurotypical. And it's written right into his backstory, and he's got a couple of things he does to help him focus, because uh, he is his mind moves very fast. And there are parts of him, and I'm not going to put anything out there, but I, I have a lot of neurodiverse people in my life and in my immediate family. And part of that is reflected in the way I made Sprocket because he's cool and he's just as cool as these people in my life that are freaking amazing. And I wanted to represent that in the game and in the actual play. And it was really awesome. So short lead into my question for you, Dale, my next question, just to get us into a more into a direct role play kind of thing. Do you have a character concept in your head somewhere right now, because I would, if I had just written this book, I guarantee you I would, that you want to roll based on your rules. And what is it? What's that person like? Oh, so many. And and part of my problem is that I'm a forever DM. One of the things that, that I'm really proud of is the, the first of the of the d- disabled NPC of the week uh, that I created, a, a character from the adventure called The Inevitable, and you can find that free on DM's Guild. She has, she's, she's a barkeep. 
and she has a amputation of her arm and, and she wears a prosthetic that is uh, it's a piece of wood with a strap and a cam clip on it and so that she can take that if she wants to grab a bottle at the bar she can just flip her arm and this leather strap will flip around it and then she can just grab her other hand and cinch it into that clip and and she can hold bottles and other, other things with that and be able to use that and obviously a, a leather strap is not as as dexterous as a hand but one of the things that I wanted to communicate in the book was this whole idea of assistive technology that it always has drawbacks and and so for her it was great and she could she can strap a, a sword to her arm that way too but it's not as easy to manipulate that way it was just it was something that when i thought of the that mechanic and it's not in this case it's not a magical thing or anything it's just simply a, a piece of wood some leather straps and and that was it and and but i thought she's a, she's just a, a really uh, pleasant character if this is something that it's kind of part of of who she is but it does it, it doesn't define her it's not like that is the sum total of of who she is or anything like that Right. And so she's very much, I mean, she's a barkeep. She's designed to be an NPC, but I really enjoyed using her when I uh, was playtesting that adventure, which is one of the ways that I was able to playtest this book was, I guess that's something I, I should mention that I, I was able to do some playtesting through some just online areas and using these adventures as ways to, to implement some of that. But, but yeah, that's I, I tend to think more in terms of the NPCs that I want to play. And because you just told the story of that barkeep, it made me think of uh, another character that I've used as an NPC. And some of our listeners, Fiona, Marty, and from our Patreons, were in the game. But I have a character named Zavia Surf Chaser in the Boiling Seas. That she's effectively owns the fishing rights for a village, but she's a retired ranger who lost her off arm from just above the elbow, from up there, and her prosthetic again. Normal mundane, but limited functionality was made by the local blacksmith. And it basically just has two big hooks on the end spaced wide enough because she had to learn to use a crossbow now to draw the string back and with a groove for the stock to rest so she could support it on the front. And she's one of the favorite NPCs that I've ever made. She's amazing. Now, mind you, she also talks with a deep gravelly voice because she's got a scar across her throat too. But but yeah, it brought that to mind. So I want to throw that up. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and speaking of, one of the things that I couldn't mention in the book because of the, the way the open gaming license works is artificers, right? There's a lot of really cool things you can do with artificers that I couldn't get into in the book because artificers aren't part of the OGL. But I, I do have a character in one of the, oh darn, I can't remember her name now, but she's an artificer and, and she uses Eldritch Cannon a lot because that comes in really handy for her. She can't like draw a bow or, or something like that, but she can use like a hand crossbow or something. And that's the other thing is like, okay, a big part of having disability is is learning how to adapt to it. And when you talk about playing the character, you think, okay, well, someone who's had this for a while, how are they adapting to it? How does it affect their life? And, and you're just going to think about that and how would they navigate? Not And you can think in terms of the real world, you can think in terms of the fantasy world and, and what challenges would they have specific to, to that and how's it going to affect them? And it's not, oh, now my life is over, all right? But it's, okay, I have to do certain things the same way that, that all of us with 
the just the way it's the little you know differences quirks whatever term you want to use in our bodies cause us to have to make decisions about the things we do in our lives and so what kind of decisions would this character have to make yep Absolutely. Glenn had posed the question to you and mentioned some of the things that he has done. I wanted to point out that a character I play in the Streams of Spiro game is, is a forever soldier. He's a Warforged who has gone through some experiences during the course of the year and a half plus that I've been playing the character where someone posed the question, what do you do when there's not a war? What do you do when the fight's over? And which I thought was an interesting question that who asks a big giant battle robot to that question, right? Well, somebody <laughs> asked that question and it was somebody who was becoming important to the character. And that's when I said, this character is going to start taking stock of that because the key to battle Warforge is that they have a soul. They are people. They're not robots. The question of, do they ask themselves these questions? That's actually essential to the Warforge as they're in the, Eberron world, but some of them have become clerics and druids and monks of peace and things like that because they are asking themselves that question. So I took that opportunity to take this Warforged Battlemaster and start asking those questions in game. Towards that end, I took an issue that is very important to me. I have close family, is the phrase I use, that have dealt with war in all of its ugliness and all of its pain and are dealing with those residual effects to the point where when I first spoke about the issue on air, I took the time to put out the question I asked and said, hey, this is something I'm thinking about doing because it's important to me. Are you comfortable with me sharing this experience and working that into what I'm doing with this character? Because it means that much to me. So dealing with PTSD specifically through this warrior was a very important aspect. I said on air, actually probably just about a year ago this week or so, if, uh, Josh may have to figure out if I'm accurate on my timing, uh, <laughs> but I, I said on air, I don't suffer from this. It is not something that I am experiencing or dealing with, but it is something that I'm keenly aware of and I want to be respectful of that experience. But at the same time, I wish to because this game I play in is streamed live so the whole world can see it. It's out there forever. It's on the interwebs. I want to be able to display this as accurately as I could possibly can through a the lens of a game and give it give some thought and credence to what we're doing. In the years since, some of my own life experience have been talked about with professionals. PTSD is something that, that I have been diagnosed with. I'm not so sure I'm 100% on board, and maybe that's my understanding of levels of severity, because I do understand where other people are and how they're dealing with it, and I don't, quote-unquote, feel that, but I do accept that diagnosis as being a real thing, so it's something I'm dealing with, so I think... There is definitely a way to incorporate these things in the game, and I would honestly say my ability to accept that in some small way has to do with a year and a half playing this character where one night a month I'm trying to portray these things. So it wasn't as alien or foreign or something that somebody I know deals with. It was something I was dealing with for this finite block of time. And so now that it's become a bit more of a reality for me individually, it's maybe a little more palatable, more of an experience than a question, but something I noted. 
Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Um, and and this good. could very well lead, help people with uh, a matter of self-awareness. It's something that this worth noting that a lot of people who are disabled don't identify as such because they feel like I'm not that disabled. And, and there's actually help for them, whether it's just social help for, with other people in that community that have similar symptoms or whatever, they can say, I get it, I'm here for you, you're not alone, whereas they're struggling alone because they don't identify as such. And or there may be legal, medical, other kind of help that they could get. I was talking to someone just recently who was diagnosed with ADHD and and it was sort of like, okay, my life makes sense now. I have talked to hmm. so many people with autism that are into their adult years before they got the diagnosis. And and it was like, oh, and I always just thought that I was just a terrible person or or whatever. <laughs> and and it was like, no, this is I mean, this is a legitimate condition that that is just that your brain or your body or whatever it is works differently than other people's and so it may be that if anybody were playing this and and they're playing a particular character and find themselves really resonating with uh, particular symptoms or, or something like that and it would motivate them to go hmm Maybe I should go, you know, talk to somebody about this. I mean, that would, that would just be another benefit of this to, to help people to, to reflect on themselves. And you just be careful that you don't WebMD it and, and go, oh, I have this and this, and therefore you're sort of self-diagnosing and yeah. stuff like that. Sometimes, right. uh, of course, self-diagnosis, there's, uh, there, there are times uh, where I've, I mean, I personally experienced this with, with my kids that they we knew that there was something going on and doctors said no it's not it's no this is not autism and like i think it is all their teachers keep asking us do they have autism and and we're like yeah and then and it took years before we finally found a professional that went well of course it is and and there's those that in the medical profession that for whatever reason think that ADHD isn't a real thing or or whatever this could help people to recognize that or or to or to help them understand other people getting back to questions before about how, how to play a, a particular character and wanting to represent that properly think about the real people that you know that whether it's these experiences or other experiences that they have and how do they deal with them i mean the the easiest way to not have a two-dimensional character is to to think about real people yeah as the father of six and grandfather of four uncle to more than i can count or whatever regale this podcast for i can assure you that advocating for your children through this again complicated medical system and through the school system is a full-time job for a host of parents Uh, if you are accurately reporting what what you are still going to have to advocate for your child children yourself your partner that's just unfortunately part of it and some of it is experience not every professional has experience with every situation or symptom. That's not me saying go doctor shop. That's not me saying go to WebMD mm-hmm. and do that. I would not. Tabletop want, Journeys does not provide any medical advice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what we are saying is, if you need help, ask for it. Go get it. 
<laughs> yeah. All right, Dale. I I think it's a, it's about time to go ahead and try to pull this together. We thank you first of all so much for coming on to talk about this. I know that this has been really helpful for me, even just even just reading the book and seeing the way that it was codified and the way that the uh, that you're giving vo- you're giving voice and giving substance to to folks who want to bring a little bit more representation of these of of these characteristics into their games for all the right reasons please let everybody know where they can uh, where they can find you and where they can find the kickstarter for limitless heroes yeah so just the easiest thing to do is just go to inclusiverpg.com and uh, that will redirect you right now it's redirecting you to to the kickstarter once kickstarter is done if you happen to be listening to this and it's February, March, or it's much later. I'm just going to, that is a redirect, Earl, that will just send you wherever you need to go to find this. If you miss the Kickstarter, we'll still have it available somewhere once it's out there, but you can get more information. You can get on our, the best thing to do is is once you go there, or you can go to wormworkspublishing.com. That's worm with a Y, like dragon, and and get on our newsletter. We've got all kinds of extra uh, resources, additional things that, that don't make it into the book because a lot of stuff ended up on the cutting room floor because it's just such a huge project. Yeah, um, but right. we've got other sort of follow-up projects planned uh, for the future. If you get our newsletter, then you'll find out about all that stuff. And there's discounts and freebies and all kinds of stuff with that. You can also look on, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Wormworks Dale and, and you can find me there. But so yeah, r- right now, inclusive RPG dot com is the best place to go awesome all right once again thank you so very much for coming on Luanika glenn any last words before we uh, before we go here sure i'm less long-windedly i promise <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the book is great i'm looking forward to seeing how the art comes out i, I really want to see uh, especially if some of that's done for some of the uh, creatures that you have in there because let me say because it's not just about the we rambled a lot during this it's not just about the actual symptoms there's some other extra stuff in there too swarm of eye gnats is nasty yeah um, and there's a leg leech too i'm not gonna you, you gotta buy the book to get all of that but the book itself is it, it looks like it's gonna be great I did realize as we rambled, though, that we didn't give you all a great idea of the book's content. So there's some creatures in there. There's some magic item suggestions in there. Real quick for each of the symptoms that Dale lists, he has also real-world examples, assistive option examples to help you figure that out, and a magical assistance, usually a created magic item that are all pretty darn good, too. It's got a huge amount of information, not just about each individual symptom and how it affects the character, but how to help you come up with assistive options in your game world. One of our options with the Kickstarter to have a an NPC, we're gonna include some NPCs with the book. I've got some great talent that are, are putting those NPCs together. Some of you have heard of D&D Disability, and, and so I've got one of the, actually the, the founder of that is helping with those NPCs and, and, and someone else helping out with that. And then we, we pulled a whole bunch of artists together. We're going to pull more together for to help with the NPCs. And one of the artists that I have is Kalman Andrasovsky. A lot of people might not know his name, but you might know his work if you've read stuff like X-Men, Avengers, Batman, a lot of the art in uh, third and, and 3.5 edition he was involved in. The phenomenal artist. And, and he's going to be involved in some of that. We've got a, you, if you'd like to have a character designed 
based on yourself or based on someone or just you have a character concept that you'd like, uh, you can actually design one of those NPCs. And at our, our top tier, you can have Kalman actually draw your character. So you can have your character included in the book done by a professional comic book indie artist. That's, wow, that's, that's awesome. Stinking that's really impressive. That's nice. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Thank you very much for this book, for this discussion. I think Glenn hit it on the head when he said, these are some things that we've been tossing around to some extent we've been doing for a while, but giving us some tools to do it better or to be well more said. deliberate in the doing thereof. More responsibly. yeah, And more responsibly becomes important. And well uh, so there's that. So thank you. The second thing I want to say as a wrap up is, is about that level of responsibility as storytellers, uh, and as gamers and as human beings on the planet Earth in the soul system, we have a responsibility to be responsible when we do certain things at our tables. We have a responsibility to be respectful, to be wary of people's lines, their veils. But we also have a responsibility to be cognizant of intent to some extent. And meaning one person can do everything in their power to try to do all the right things and they may fall down. They may make a mistake and it's not a license for them to do so consistently and often because that would not be them falling down or missing the mark when they're trying to do things. Other people need to say, oh, that wasn't good. Can we do better? And I think we're all looking at this saying, we know where we haven't necessarily done better. We now have some tools to do better. So there's a responsibility to do just that. Whether you're using this at your table or recognizing when somebody's portraying something at the table or you intend to do, just do so knowingly and recognize your level of responsibility within the lines and veils of the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And go out there and be good people. Couldn't say it any better myself. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to think of it in terms of beneficial and harmful, right? How can we be the most beneficial just in, in life in general, specifically here in how can you make your game the most beneficial and avoid it being harmful? Yep. Right. And, and so this book was designed to help people be beneficial to each other and in turn to help them be more beneficial in the world. I love it. Awesome. Dale, thank you so very much for coming on again. I'm really looking forward to seeing the book when it comes out here. I know you, you've got three fans in this podcast here. So uh, everybody out there listening, uh, go check this out and uh, go support Wormworks Publishing. Thank you, everybody. And listeners, we will talk to you again next week. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series. 
where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.